first slide, please. If you haven't seen this, you all, I know you all have seen it at some stage. When we did our vision, um, when we showed our vision middle of last year, this was one of the things that we felt God put in our hearts would be uh, the slogan, I guess, of, of what it is that we're trying to achieve in this house. Um, we will redo the vision and we'll re-explain what that looks like, but I really felt this morning that we needed to re-explain the very the crux of what we're doing here. I think that I believe that each house in this city, in this nation, and in the nations carry with it a, a mandate from God. They carry with it a, a, um, a purpose, per se. And every ministry or church you go into has a, a little slogan. And I didn't like the slogan when we first planted the church because I felt like it was a, it's just something we had to do. But I was challenged by the fact that a, a short slogan that we can remember and understand is something that we hold on to and is the, the, the thing that we're walking towards all the time. So when we went away, Jess and I, and talked about what it is that we, we are walking towards, what it is we're here to do, this is what we really felt we wanted this, this house to be. A place where we can learn how to position our lives in Jesus and become examples of Him. So this is something that we're going to push more and more as we work forward and further and further along this path. And it's something that we started building at the end of last year. The reason we took so, so long in discipleship and so long in understanding what Jesus was and who he was and, and the different aspects of what Christ was doing, that was to get us to understand what's the picture that we're supposed to be creating. What is it that we are trying to become or what is it that we're looking towards while we work this, walk this journey? And I, in, a, in a meeting before Mal and Edie went away, we were challenged that we need something that we can hold on to and begin to go, okay, that's what we're here to do. And I believe for this house, this is what we're here to do. So I want to I speak this morning a little bit on, on becoming examples of Jesus, becoming, becoming visions of who he was, that when people see us, people go, man, there's something about that guy. There's something about that girl. There's something about that team of people that came into to our country, into our city. I saw something I've never seen before. You know, it's from that place that we preach the gospel. It's from that place that we can... We can unequivocally show who Christ is because they've already seen it before it's opened our mind. Often in Christianity, we try and do it the other way around. We try so hard to speak to people and get them to understand and we forget that we need to show them first. You know, in the, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus preached, he always showed who he was before he spoke about who he was. They knew who he was when he came into a room. They knew who this person was and they were excited to preach what he wanted them to preach. So I really want us in, in the next little while to begin to understand that, man, I want to know you, Jesus, because I want to mimic who you are. You know, it's, it, one of the verses in the Bible that's always, that's always rocked me is in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's, that's challenging, super challenging, because what Paul's saying is, watch every aspect of my life and I'll show you who Jesus is. And to me, it would be like getting somebody and having them stand next to you every minute of your life, hearing what you're saying, seeing what you're doing. And that can be quite a challenging thing and quite a thing where you go, oh, I don't want to stuff up. But it should be an encouraging thing. Paul knew who Christ was so much that he said, I'll show you who he is, follow me. So what I want us to get to, to understand is the fact that, that that's a hard thing to say. 
But because we continually trans, um, sorry, we continually renew our minds, we begin to go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Let me show you how to do it differently. And a part of what I was saying when we first started about getting to know one another is getting to be encouraged by the way that somebody else follows Christ. Looking at, at some of the guys from YWAM and going, man, you guys have, has, have given so much. I wish I, I wish I knew how to do that. We can learn, if we're willing to learn, we can learn so much from anybody in any situation. A little Something that's been disheartening to me in looking through Facebook um, is the, the people wanting to toss 2017 away and just excited to start again. I just want to forget it and let me start again. But the reality is, is that you learnt so much from 2017 if only you were willing to learn. The painful things we walked through in 2017... The triumphant things we walked through in 2017 carry with them a large amount of lessons if we're willing to hear them. If we're willing to learn and grow the things that you've walked through, you can take so much out of. One of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges for me um, and for my wife, obviously, given that we are much younger than most people that lead churches, is that very thing, is getting people to understand you can learn something if you're willing to learn it. And some of the biggest steps that we take, some of the biggest lessons that we learn are in the most unusual places. That's because God has been trying to give you it to you in the usual places and you wouldn't listen. So he had to place it in the unusual places so that you would really see what's happening. Um, in, the, in, in the Jewish time, they understood that there was a Messiah coming. They understood that there was, there was a Messiah coming to overthrow the Roman Empire. They understood that God had a plan for them that was much bigger than what they were putting forward. They were all holding to the prophecy of a Messiah. The problem was that when, when God poured out the Messiah, when God gave the Messiah, he didn't come how they were expecting him to come. They had this theory, this, this position that Jesus would come with an army and he would overthrow the Roman Empire and he would establish an empire just as David had done and other kings in that time had done. That he would have with it a, a kingdom that was physical and tangible, that was filled with, with riches and gold and that they would have no enemy in the place because they had the strongest army and everybody would come to get to know the Messiah. But what happens is that, that God didn't want to do it the way that they wanted it to be done. God had another plan, a, 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 a plan that was, was completely out of their minds, but it, it made sense. So God sends Jesus and he brings a kingdom that is invisible that can only be given through repentance and faith. Some people caught on, the most unlikely people caught on to what Jesus had come to do. But the interesting thing is that those that didn't catch on were those that knew how he was coming or they thought they knew how he was coming. So we have this, this church, the, the Old Testament church, the Pharisees and the scribes that, that were in this place of, of religious power, I guess, religious... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, perfection, religious perfection. They were standing in this place where they knew how the Messiah was going to come. And the Bible describes a, a system like that as an old wineskin. They were a wineskin that had taken old wine 
But when God decided, I'm going to pour out a new wine, I'm going to pour out something fresh for you, I'm going to pour out the Messiah that I promised as a new wine, what happened with the old system was that it could not take the new wine because it was not ready for what God was going to pour out. And the Bible actually says in, in Luke 5, 36 verse 39, that if the new wine was to be poured into the new wineskin, the wineskin would, ex- would explode, that it could not take the new wine. But the interesting thing is, is that, that God says, I've got this new wine. Prepare for me a new wineskin and I will pour it in. But because they could not change, they were unable to change, they were unable to get out of the ways that they were thinking, they actually refused the wineskin. Sorry, they refused the fresh wine that God was pouring out. So much so that they took that wine and they attempted to kill it. So God sends Jesus and the church to, to the new, sorry, God sends Jesus to the old wineskin. All they had to do was change the way that they were thinking, change who they were, change what what God wanted them to change, and they could have accepted Christ and done as the disciples had done. But the old, the church of the Old Testament was unable to change who they were, so they refused the wine skin. Sorry, they refused the wine. My brain is all over the shop. Sorry, that's confusing. First week back, they're dancing. Because you see, the interesting thing in this for me is that God gave them an opportunity to change them. He gave them the opportunity to accept Christ in all the glory that he was seeing. But they didn't want it to be done that way. They wanted it to be done the way that they had it planned. They wanted it to be done on horseback and chariot with, with an army that they could, they could overthrow with. And when it didn't come the way they wanted to, they refused what God was sending. The point here is that there's so many times in our own lives as individually and in our corporate lives as a church where we refuse the wine that God wants to pour out. We stand there and we scream for the wine. We want the fresh, we want the new, but but we refuse to change our wineskin in order to accept the wine that God's sending us. And there's so many times where God's standing there saying, I've got what you are asking for, but I cannot pour it into that because it will explode when I pour it in. So take that one skin, change it, make it new, and I'll pour a fresh wine into it. And I love that he uses wine because it just rattles people's socks. But there's so many times where we, we sit and we think, <laughs> the classic new year, new me, but I don't want to change anything. I want to lose weight, but I don't want to run anywhere. I want to make money, but I don't want to work. You see, we get caught in this, I want that fresh wine, but I want it in my old wine skin because it's uncomfortable to change. But God's saying, son, I want to give you this, but I cannot pour it in because it will explode what you're holding. So we walk around blaming God or, or saying that, God, you, you're not giving me what I want. You're not giving me the freshness. And he's going, I can't. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that God doesn't want to refresh us and renew us. It's not that God doesn't want to pour out into our lives or pour out into the church. He's saying, please change so that I can give you what I want to give you. And as I was thinking about this, uh, it it got me more and more frustrated because I started thinking about how are we supposed to change? 
how in the world do I take what I've got that's, that needs new wine and put it in and make it something fresh that you pour into? And the more and more I thought about it, the more and more this kept popping up in my head. Positioning our lives in Jesus and becoming examples of who He is. You see, we've been given the tools to do what God wants us to do. I don't want to discourage prophetic words. I don't want to discourage the prophetic. But sometimes we just we have to just get a prophetic word. If someone would just come and tell me, God's telling you again and again and again. Prophetic words are incredible and they're life-changing. And I love them and I want to see them flow in the house. But God's not always going to speak that way to you. Sometimes you have to hop up and go, I'm going to look, I'm going to see. And I don't mean to be, I'm trying not to be put down, but rather to put us up. And this is something that I was very challenging through. I was saying to Sean just before, I've found it very difficult to write sermons over the last sort of four, four or five sermons I've written because they're challenging. And I don't want to <laughs> have to be challenged and change the things that we're doing, but that's that, that mentality of give me new wine, but let me keep my old wine still. That old saying of I want to have my cake and eat it too. To get the new you and the new year, we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to expand. We have to be willing to grow. And we have to be willing to take a plowshare and put it into the ground. God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going for it. I don't know what, where I'm walking, but I'm walking. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense, but God's saying, I'm with you. Let me show you. As you walk, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think one of the, one of the biggest keys that, that we hear in the Bible, one of the biggest things that we get, get taught on how to actually follow Jesus was the two commandments that he gives. Love your God with all your heart. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we all know that. We've all, most of us have heard that, huh? A hundred thousand times. We've heard preach after preach. We've heard story after story. But can I tell you, they are the, probably two of the hardest things to do that we will do in this life. Because if we understood how to do that wholeheartedly, we would be completely different. And that's something that challenges me all the time. And I started thinking, love, love, love. How do I love? Okay, I love my wife. That can be difficult at times. But I love my wife. So do I apply that? Do I apply that to this verse? Everyone's having a little talk there. All the married guys are like, yep, know where he's at. Know what that looks like. So do I apply that love? Do I take that, my, my grid for love? What does my grid for love look like and how do I apply that? Okay, my... My only grid for love at the moment is how to love my wife. So do I take that and apply that to the situation? But you see, it's, it's, it's so funny because we live in a society where that word love is, is so outwashed. It's been washed and taken and bent and used. And I'm not, not just talking about the, the same-sex movement, but it's been, it's been twisted and tormented before that. That we have this word love and this an absolutely terrible example that we see. We go, well, well, how did your father love you? Well, what if I didn't have a father? Okay, well, how did your brother love you? Well, what if my brother attacked me? Well, how do your friends love you? What if I don't have any friends? You see, we, we, 
we have to understand what love looks like before we can actually begin to apply that love to ourselves or our neighbour. Because remember it says, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Yet we live in a society where we, we, we war the love for ourselves. And we're told that we shouldn't love ourselves, that we should look like something else. And I'm going down a rabbit trail. So if you want to turn to, to Matthew 20, uh, 22, 37, that's where that verse is. Love our God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If you if you have Esau or you or you use that, if you click on that word love and you look at the original meaning, the original meaning, Hebrew meaning for that word is, is agape, which is different to agape. Agape and this is the verb, it's a doing word, and it means to give fully in a social or moral sense. The love that that verse is talking about means to give fully in a social or a moral sense. To take all that you have and to give back. So first of all, we're told to take all that we have and give that to God. Take everything that you have and give it to God. And I truly believe that the reason that God tells us to love Him first is because then He shows us how to love our neighbor. So we take everything we have, God, I'm... I'm giving you all that I am. That song that we were singing, um, that second song was incredible. Because it was saying, I give you everything that I am, God. That's to love. So when we learn how to love our Father, when we learn how to love, God, I love you, so what can you give me? No, God, I love you, so I'll give you everything that I have. And I'll wait for you until you show me what else I do. Once we do step one, in those commandments, step two is the most easiest thing we'll ever know how to do. It starts off being the hardest. But when we give everything to God, God gives us more than we gave him back. And he gives us the ability to do step two. There was a writer by the name of, of Mr. Eckhart. And he said that love is the will to intention. Love is the will to intention. When we unpack that, love is the fact that I will willingly give Damon all that I am. Willingly. Not begrudgingly. I'm not cranky that I have to spend time with Damon. I'm not cranky that I have to be with him. But I will willingly spend time with him. And I don't do it by, I run into him in the stores, but I intentionally seek Damon and say, I want to spend time with you. So when we learn how to love, we do that in the same manner with God too. We, we go to God and we say, God, I want to spend time with you. And I intend to spend time with you willfully. And that looks different for all of us. Most uh, church leaders will say that they go for the morning walk. I don't do a morning walk barely get out of bed at morning time it doesn't matter what it looks like what matters is your willful intention to spend time with God and then the follow on from that is your willful intention to spend time with your neighbor when we learn how to willfully intend to spend time with people I want to 
we start to understand the love that Jesus had. Do you notice in the Bible, Jesus never begrudgingly went places with people, except for the cross. But Jesus never ever took the tax collector and went, oh, I've got to go and have dinner with this guy, come on. And we all do that. I do that. There's some times where I think, oh man, I don't want to get out of bed and do what I have to do today. We do it. And it's okay. But we to encourage ourselves to not do that. Jesus was overjoyed when he spent time with people. He was he was overjoyed to be with his people. That's how we follow the heart of Christ. We learn how to willfully intend to be with people. If you have a Bible, go with me to Daniel 3, verse 8. My dad used to used to read this story to us as kids all the time. It's my favorite my favorite Bible story. And I sat down to read in the holidays and I didn't know where to start, so I figured I'd just go back to one of my favorite biblical stories. And I want to read it this morning. I'm gonna read the whole thing. I know it's it's a bit long, but I want to read the whole thing and then I will I will explain why I wanted to read it. Therefore at the time certain Chenlians came forward and malicely accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of a horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, or bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, so that they, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery, burning furnace. Then these men were brought in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound in the burning, burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. 
he declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound to the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they were not hoyer. And the appearance of the fourth was like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the starops, and the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The air of the of their head, sorry, the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that spoke anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house be laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's one of my favourite stories. I think it is it is shows the the perfection of God in so many ways. But you know my favourite thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they didn't challenge the king until they were asked to challenge the king. All they did was they stood in the image of their God. They refused to bend their knee. They refused to do anything but what their God told them to do. They didn't go and challenge the, the kings of this world. They didn't go and, and, and make a big fuss. They just listened to what God told them to do. They refused to be anything other than an image of who their God was. They refused to carry anything other than what God told them to carry. They could have easily bent their knee in the city and let it all go. They could have easily bent their knee in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. But all they knew was the promise that God had given them. All they held on to in the moment of their most fiery minute before their death was to hold on to what God had told them. Be who God made me to be. Listen, whatever God says, do what God made me to do. And you know what comes of that is that King Nebuchadnezzar gives him everything and he says, I know who your God is now. In the moment that they listened to God, they showed the king who the father was. In that moment when you listen to God, you show that situation who the father is. When we stand in a place and we do what God's told us to do, we show that place who our father is. but we have to begin to understand who our Father is so that we can have that strength in that moment. So that we can have that strength in everything that we walk through, we understand who our Father is. And I think that it's, it's absolutely hilarious that King Nebuchadnezzar is so irate about this, this God that he's created to bow to it. And God shows him one small thing. He saves three men who didn't even care about. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, no one's like your God. So when we start questioning about how do I become an example of Christ? I become an example of Christ by walking how he tells me to walk. And there's times where we're not going to get it right. There's times where we're going to fumble. There's times where we're going to drop the ball. But the most important thing that we understand is I'm going to follow you in this time. I'm going to get others around me who know who you are, who know how to walk how you walk. I'm going to listen to the stories of the people that I've, I've walked with and, and hear how they knew you in that time. 
because through everything that we walk through, positive and negative, we're going to see God move if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to stand up and be a part of what he's, he's a part of. We must not operate from a place of arrogance, but from a place of his reality, the reality of God in everything that we do. We begin to understand who he is. I want to finish with, with this verse, Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness will be added unto you. Seek his kingdom. We have to seek. We have to do something in this. As a church, scattered and gathered as a people, individually and corporately, we have to seek him in this. Because to know who he is, we have to have sought his face. Don't stand on who he is. We have to know who he is. That's why it says to love your God first, so that we know who God is. So that through everything that we do in this life, we know who the Father is. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. Father, we just thank you, God. Lord, we just declare your name in this place. Father, we want to know you more, God. We want to see you more, Father. We want to seek your face, God. And Lord, I just pray that, that every church in the city, Father, every house in the city, Lord God, and every house in this nation just begins to, to pick up a plowshare, Father, and to seek your face, Lord. The very reason that we come to this place, God, is to worship you, to praise you, to understand you more, to know you more, Father. So I just pray, Father, today you've encouraged, Lord, you've encouraged people to, to dig into who you are. To begin to become an example of you, Jesus. To watch how you walked, to watch how you treated people, to watch how you you were in this place and to, to mimic that. You are our rabbi, our greatest teacher. We come as servants to sit at your feet, to learn. We thank you, Father. We love you, Lord God, and we just worship you in this place. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.